What's next? This is a question we're all having to ask and answer more frequently. I'm Jenny Blake, your host of the Pivot Podcast and author of Pivot, The Only Move That Matters is Your Next One. For show notes from this episode, visit pivotmethod.com slash podcast. If change is the only constant, then let's get better at it. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pivot Podcast. I am overjoyed to be here today with Jeffrey Shaw. He's a fellow soulful solopreneur and entrepreneur, and I just can't wait for today's conversation. A little background on Jeffrey. Jeffrey's mantra, one of them, is that having a keen eye isn't just for what one sees, but also for what one senses. Having been one of the most sought-after portrait photographers in the U.S. for more than three decades, Jeffrey Shaw, a.k.a. The Lingo Guy, uses this honed intuition to attract and maintain specific markets by speaking their secret language. His portraits have appeared on The Oprah Show, CBS News, and O Magazine, People Magazine, and New York Family Magazine. Jeffrey is a host of the popular business podcast, Creative Warriors, a nationally acclaimed keynote speaker, business coach for entrepreneurs, and author of his new book, Lingo, Discover Your Ideal Customer's Secret Language and Make Your Business Irresistible. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here with you, Jenny. Thank you. Likewise, we connect on our soulful approach to life and work. And in fact, one of your mottos for your business is create serve and be prosperous. Can you share a little bit about your vision behind Creative Warriors and how you imbue that sense of soul and purpose and service into the work that you do? Mm, I love that. And I do love that we connect in that way because, you know, honestly, I don't know that there's any other way to be in business. Uh, I have just always found that I needed a blend of both the inside and outside work. And actually, I think it's the, I think it's that blend that makes us successful and fulfilled. You know, I just don't think we want to take just one approach and just, I mean, it takes action. And this, I'm always careful to explain. It's like, I am a very action-oriented guy, as I know you are. You know, we, you're, you're, uh, I know you take a lot of strategy and, and I work with a sense of strategy. But at the end of the day, you know, I was actually was late to uh, one of my coaching calls the other day. And I allowed myself to be late because I knew the reason I was late would be a good learning lesson for my client. And when I got on the phone with her, I let her know, you know, I had just, you know, just launched the the pre-launch of my book, Lingo. It was two days later and fear came up for me, you know, and I bet you know that feeling too, right? 100%. It's out there, right? It's out there. Oh and so all this, all this fear. Yes. And the reason I was late to call, I said to her, because I needed to go deeper with my daily practices that day. And it made me a little late. And I knew that she would appreciate that. And I wanted her to understand, as I, I try to strive for other people to understand that, you know, strategy is great. And I've got all the action steps and I've got the strategy. But at the end of the day, I always turn inward first before I apply the strategy, because it's the practices that unblocks what could possibly be in the way from the strategies working. So, you know, it's it's a it's a back and forth thing for me, inside and outside, but I always turn to the inside first to unblock so that the strategies work. There's so much gold in there. I love even what you said to your client, just that integrity and authenticity modeling for her, and then taking also ownership and responsibility. And just letting her know this is exactly where I'm at. And and then I feel like probably she felt so much more connected to you coming, get, getting into that coaching call. Yeah, I hope so. And I also, I wanted her to, I knew that she needed to hear that that's what she needed to do also. Because entrepreneurs a lot of times just work harder. You know, one of the, one of the things I, I, 
offer often as what I refer to as a self-identifying question. It's it's a part of my strategy. It's a marketing strategy. And it's a way of getting people to identify that I'm the one to help them. And a question I often pose is, are you working really hard but hardly getting ahead? Mm. Right? And and what causes that hamster wheel treadmill mill f- feeling is often that you are just applying strategy, but you're not unblocking. And I know that she was at a point that she needed to hear that. So it just so happened, as is often the case, you know, something I was learning was something she needed to learn at the same time. So I, she did seem to appreciate the, the sharing of it. And I hope it taught her to turn inward uh, when in times of struggle and challenge. And the same can happen in reverse. I remember a mentor saying to me once, Every single coaching client and even conversation with a friend is mirroring something I can also learn from on that day. Um, and I love, I love your approach to doing the inner work at the same time as we do the, the business work. That's something that's been on my mind a lot lately, too, that um, even things that seem very surface level, like revenue goals, but it starts from the inside. It starts from, for, for me, it's like, what's my soul calling here? What are the soul goals that that require or, or that, that excite me to up-level my business? And then what's within my integrity to pursue, whether it's pricing or a new client or a new format for my services? So it's it really is this journey of entrepreneurship serves our inner growth at the same time that the inner growth, as you said, becomes the base for all that we do externally. Yeah. You know, my, my absolute favorite quote of all time was by Jim Rohn. And his quote is, our level of success rarely exceeds our level of personal development. Ooh. Like, right? Ooh, I mean, could that's it? That's good. I know. Could it be any better? <laughs> but I live by that quote. I mean, I truly believe that. And I try to stress that to others as well, is that our level of success rarely exceeds our level of personal development. Therefore, as you raise the ceiling of your personal development, that's how you raise the level of your success. And just, you know, we have to grow. And I've often said, I mean, I've I've been an entrepreneur for 33 years. I was age of 20. I was in, well, actually, I was an entre- entrepreneur by the age of 14 selling eggs door to door. But <laughs> professionally speaking, by the age of 20, I was in business for my Myself. So it's been 33 years. And I have to say, this, Jenny, but you know this feeling too. This has been personal development on steroids. Oh, like, yeah. I just, right? I don't know <laughs> there's any better way to force personal development than being in business for yourself, to be a creative warrior. That's kind of where that the name comes from. It's like when you're in business, marketing yourself, selling your talent, putting yourself on the line, it takes that deep, soulful strength of a warrior in order to succeed. And yeah, this this whole journey has been one of expansive and uh, accelerated personal development, which leads to success. I love what you said about that being kind of being ready for success. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts because just yesterday I was giving a workshop for my private momentum community. And I was saying that I kind of play this game with myself. Like, am I ready? If I was on Oprah tomorrow or if Oprah just mm-hmm. shouted out my name or carried my book in a paparazzi photo tomorrow, would I be ready? And sometimes I think these outer nods or tipping points don't occur until we're somehow ready. Not 100% because always those opportunities stretch us in very new ways and they kind of explode our previous version of ourself. But and so it's not I don't so much mean it as a limiting belief, like, oh, only when I have everything buttoned up, then I can achieve a tipping point of some kind. But it's more like, I don't think those things happen on an energetic level until we've kind of got a certain amount of ducks in the row, ducks in a row, both on the inside and our inner game and in the business kind of systems. Like, are we ready to catch that level 
And that yeah. in some ways when opportunities aren't happening, it's, it's actually a, a friendly note from the universe that, hey, you're not quite there yet. What yeah. are your thoughts on this? Gosh, I love that you just use the word catch, you know, because it's, that's actually what it feels like. And it is a receiving model. So in, in the book, Lingo, I refer to this as reciprocal communication. And this has been the hardest. I have to say, Jenny, it was the thing I felt most innately, but it was the hardest thing to communicate and to get on paper. Like, I know this feeling of reciprocal communication. I know without a shadow of a doubt, there is a co-creation going on around me. And the example I give in the book is that, uh, and this is going to sound so nerdy, but you have to understand, I grew up in the country. Right? So, oh, I love nerdy. <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> the only, the, our only source of entertainment in my you know, little country town I grew up in was bowling. And I was an exceptional bowler. Like as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, I was like a really exceptional bowler. And I... I knew this thing would happen. Like when I succeeded as a bowler, it was when it wasn't when I was hitting the pin pins. It was when the pins were receiving the ball, and there was this different feeling. And I could, I could never put it into words. Now, granted, I'm like 12, 13 years old, but I had this observation that there was a difference between my, me forcing a goal. I was going to hit the pins oh, versus so I am in energetic sync with the pins, and they're receiving the ball. So I've spent the better part of my life. With this understanding of having no, didn't you know, in the beginning, not having the maturity or wisdom to put words to it. So now here I'm writing this, trying to put this in the books. I think this is a critical part of business success. Because honestly, Lingo is primarily a book about marketing strategies and branding strategies. But I wanted to end it with self-help so that people were unblocked. So when they applied the strategies, they worked. This reciprocal communication was imperative, but it was so hard to put to words because it's such an energetic quality. But I I actually think it's the way goals have evolved. I don't think moving forward, and you know, I think part of the reason, Jenny, you and I love being in business in this time is that it is more energetic. You know, there's a more energetic communication. People, as I say, and and it's such a premise of the book Lingo, is that people hire you because you get them, right? You know, that's that sense of really getting each other. So people make decisions on who to do business with on an energetic level. So there is this nonverbal reciprocal communication going on. And I think it's the way goals have evolved, that we can't just force or hit our goals, that we have to be ready for them. And, and I'll share with you, if you if you want me to, a, kind of a personal experience with this. Please, yes. So last year, 2016, uh, well, actually, by the time, I guess that'll be, by the time this broadcast, a year and a half ago, in 2016, I often referred to 2016 as my my year of rejection. Uh, finally, I had a really good friend of mine reframe that and said, can we call it the year of not yet mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, instead of the year of rejection, which was very powerful to me because in that year, I had applied to eight TEDx events, none of which I was selected for. In hindsight, looking back now, a year, year and a half later, you know what, Jenny, it's a good thing I wasn't chosen because I wasn't ready. I was ready in the, from the perspective that I had a talk, I had a message, I did the applications. But honestly, my personal life was in shambles. I was in a relationship with somebody who was really tumultuous. There is a 99% chance that had I been selected to be to give that TEDx talk, I would have walked on stage grinning and bearing it through my teeth, through a fake smile, because some disaster was going on in my personal life, which is what happened continuously over the six years of the relationship. So in hindsight, I can say, you know, I wasn't ready. I thought I was ready. I had the strategies in place. I had the applications in. I had the talk down. But something else, some other force, universe, God, whatever one wants to call it, knew I wasn't ready. 
So the internal readiness wasn't there. And I'm actually grateful now that it didn't happen because now I've sorted all that out Mm. and now I am ready. I've just stepped out in the game again and starting to apply to TEDx talks and coming from a very different place now. So now I feel like I'm ready. And I think I think I will be honored and and accepted as a speaker because I think hopefully the universe responds and says, Yeah, he's ready now. A hundred percent. What a fascinating story. Thank you for sharing that. And I know what you mean. I've had I've had years where I was like going through this it's just horrible, like ending of a relationship. I don't know why I couldn't get over it. And I'd show up to a keynote speech for in front of hundreds of people, like puffy eyed. I'd been crying all day. I just, it was all I could do just to get it together 30 minutes prior. That's not what you want. That's not what you want for your TEDx. And it, and I can know, I know Jeffrey, I, I know this is happening for you and that you'll look back and you'll think, wow, that was the perfect TEDx. Like that was exactly. the perfect one that chose me at the perfect time. Yeah, I think so. I think so. On the subject of receiving, one thing you say is prosperity is not something we achieve. It's something we receive. How does that relate to this conversation and even the reciprocal communication piece? Well, because it is all about receiving, you know, and and, uh, often people, people often jump to the conclusion right away that Oh, you know, I'm more than ready to receive success. I'm more than ready to ex- throw, bring it on, right? Throw all the money at me you want. And and I'm like, really? So when's the last time you welcomed a compliment? Right? Just start with that. You know, how often do people brush off? We, we have a hard time receiving compliments. So receiving is actually, I I I find it, and maybe it's, I don't think it's just me, but I think for a lot of us, receiving is just really hard. You know, whether it's receiving a compliment, receiving the recognition that that we deserve for our work, um, you know, I find it inherently difficult to receive, and it can therefore be a block to getting what you want. So I think a lot of practice has to come in, and that's again why I believe a lot in daily practices because I think they open you up, they 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 convince you, if you will, by means of affirmations or other practices, they retrain the brain so that you believe it too. You know, and as a business coach, I've been seeing this for years. I actually break out what I call four stages of personal development. The third stage being when I see people grow, and I've seen it myself, but as people grow, there's a period of time when the world around us sees our growth quicker than we do. Right. So there's a period of time, right? People will, people will point out to you how you've grown, you've changed, how, what you're achieving, and we can't see it in ourselves. And it's a critical point and a point that really needs support because without it, you're too likely to retreat and go back to what you expect of yourself. What are the other stages of personal growth? In this four-stage model, you know I love this. By the way, you have so many great frameworks. <laughs> so the first stage is I'm, you know, living up to what I'm capable of and just settling there. Okay. Mm. Um, second stage, which is where the stage that everybody's at when they when they come to me for coaching, is I believe I'm capable of more. I just don't know how to get there yet. Right. So there's just this. I call it the inkling stage. The second stage is just this the sense that I know I'm capable of more. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to get there. I just feel it. Yes, I call that like the whispers. Like yeah. Whisper in your gut. Like, hey. Yeah. I like yeah. you call whispers. I call it ink. I call it inkling. It's <laughs> yeah. kind of the same idea. It's like this inkling that I'm capable of more. Yeah. yeah. And then the third is, as I said, it's that stage of the world can see more in us than we can see in ourselves. And then the fourth stage, which is where we're headed, is ownership. You know, ownership of I got this. You know that I. That, and again, it, it phase three and four are so closely related because there's a point. I mean, when I was in leadership training, we went through an exercise called responsibility for impact. And when the concept was presented to us, I immediately thought 
negatively. I was like, oh gosh, this is going to, you know, this is, I'm going to have to take responsibility for the ways in which I can screw people up. <laughs> right. You know, and what it turned out to be was a reflection exercise where the other 18 participants in the leadership program, we took turns uh, feeding each other with the ways that, that we had made a positive impact in people's lives. And to sit there and hear feedback from 18 people on ways that I had positively impacted them. It forced you to take responsibility, even if you couldn't imagine that you were so powerful. Mm. And that that fourth stage is just ownership. It's like, you know, there are many times, and I'll bet you feel that way as a leader as well. There are many times like, I don't get it. I don't see how I'm I'm that good. I don't see how I'm that impactful. But hey, if everybody else tells me I am, I'll own it and do it because if it's helping, I want to help. Yes. And you just go for it and you just own it. Yeah. Oh, it's like, and for me, I just own it and keep moving. Like, there's no need yes. to dwell. It's not about ego. It's just like, okay, cool. I'm not getting in my own way by saying, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Uh, for the most part, of course, like I'm a human, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think another huge part of receiving. Yes. It's, it's that being open to compliments to start. What a great way to practice and start. But also to me, receiving is so much about listening and receiving clues. So talking about this energetic co-creation, to me, being in a receiving mode is like, I don't always know best, or my ego doesn't know, or I can't know all the steps in advance. And so now I need to be in this very quiet receiving mode. And you talked about daily practices. I would love to hear what your practices are that help you get to that state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, it's funny, as you mentioned, you're talking about that one, you reminded me, you know, we overlooked the obvious, but I have a, I have a post-it note that sits on my computer that is all about receiving. The, the post-it note says, there's more where that came from. Oh, oh and I, I just, love that. And I just absorb that, whether it's, you know, when someone pays me, I take a look at it. When someone gives me great advice, I look at it. And that's that note is a is a reminder to me. There's more where that came from, right? Whatever whatever I want to receive in abundance, there's more where that came from. Before, so, okay, before you say your daily, because yeah. I have to build on that quote. One of my <laughs> favorite songs is from a band called Nako and Medicine for the People. Have you heard of them? I have not. You would love them. First of all, oh, how great is that right. band name? Like Medicine for the People. It's very spiritual, yeah. like soulful music, but it's not religious. And there's this song, Dark as Night. And the whole lyric, the chorus is, I believe in the good things coming. And I even have a t-shirt, like I'm that concert nerd. I got the t-shirt that says, I believe in the good things coming. And I just think that that says it all there too. Like there's more, there's, as you said, there's more where that com came from. I believe in the good things coming. And I'll link to this in the show notes, of course. Awesome. And um, okay, because so, let's just put a pin in the daily habits. <laughs> one more thing to address. I don't want to forget. I want us to discuss when surrendering and receiving. Sometimes people get the misimpression that it's passive somehow. So we can go whichever order you want, daily rituals or that question. Mm, okay. So to me, they're so closely related. I think we, we're going to probably wind up talking about both at the same time. So actually, the first daily practice I'm going to share with you then fits into both your band quote and your question. And it's, <laughs> it's, I'm like it's throwing what, you a kitchen sink here. Good it's job. awesome. <laughs> um, it's what I call the what's going right journal. This has been, uh, this has been a life changer for me. And so the idea is this, the what's going right journal is to, in a simple way, journal, write out a list of what's going right in your life on a daily basis. You know, human nature is such that, as we all know, we can hear 10 compliments, one, you know, quote unquote, constructive criticism. And the only thing we want to remember is the criticism. <laughs> 
right? You know, we kind of hone in on that. So I think it's, you know, probably just embedding us from, from survival to, to look for the danger. And what I have found with the What's Going Right journal is that it is both strategic and magical. So the way I do it, and again, I think everybody has to work out their own format, but I, I get up in the morning and I have a whole ritual in the morning and you know, I make I make masala chai tea and boil the milk and the whole thing and I read for about an hour and a half and then I will try attempt to list what's going right or what has gone right in the past day. And it is surprisingly difficult. I don't necessarily initially see a lot of things, but that's part of the the point, like to, to kind of force that. And then I take my dogs for like a 45-minute walk, and I integrate in that walk one of my other daily practices, which is um, affirmations. Uh, I call it my affirmation walk. To everybody else, it looks like I'm walking my dogs and saying hello to people, but in my own mind, I'm reciting an affirmation as I as I walk, and it's about 40 minutes. Then Do I you come have a back. Specific affirmation, or is it different every time? Um, no, it's. I tend to stick with an affirmation for a period of time until I've exhausted believing that I need that affirmation. Can you give us an example of a current one? Sure. Uh, so my current affirmation is, um, I am lovable and magnetic by the world. Oh, I love it. Right. Um, so. You know, because that's that's I, I want to again. It's receiving. You know, I'm trying to to believe <laughs> that I am lovable and magnetic to the world. Um, and it's interesting, actually. You're reciting this in your head. It's almost as if because I'm walking and walking in a park. It's as if people know you're reciting this because I feel like I get a lot more nods of heads and good mornings. <laughs> and I'm sure like, you do. You're probably right? your whole energy is like you probably have a smile, like a even if it's a heart smile. You know, while yeah. while imagining this. Yeah, so it's like proof in motion. Like I'm reciting this yeah. affirmation and getting proof in motion. Um, I love that. So it kind of really reaffirms it. And it's during that time, I suddenly start seeing a lot more of what's going right. So then I come back and then I will finish off my what's going right journal for that morning because it's on that walk. I said, oh yeah, that's going right. Oh yeah, the so-and-so connected me with this person. That was awesome. You know, oh, I got Je- I got on Jenny Blake's podcast. That's going right. You know, <laughs> I come back and it, uh, so much more is available for me to see. So not only is it an inward practice, I will tell you, Jenny, it has absolutely created an inward flow because we, as we, most of us have learned at some point in our lives, we get more of what we focus on. And as we focus on what's going right, what do you see? More of what's going right. And then it becomes hopefully the only thing you see. So to me, again, it's one of the ideal practices that, you know, just it, it's, it's strategic. And I will tell you that for me, it's more tangible, I should say. For me, it, I have always struggled with gratitude journals, and I know they work for a lot of people. So this was sort of my spin on a gratitude journal, because gratitude journals, for one, I never stuck with them. And I just, you know, if I woke up in the morning and I was breathing, I was grateful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was too broad for me, and I didn't feel like it brought me tangible results, where the What's Going Right journal, for me, has brought literal tangible results, and I get to see them on paper. And that's why it was so important for me to include this at the end of, of Lingo. Uh, and I have to tell you, to be honest with you, I had to fight to include this in the book because, you know, my editor, who's fantastic, and other professionals thought that it was a little hard to integrate the self-help section in the back of the book in what is really a business book. I know exactly what you mean, I and I wanted to ask you about that. So keep going. Yeah. So it was, you know, I had to fight for that because it, it's not typically done. And I was like, you know, I just don't want to be another business book. I want to give strategies and I want to help you. And if we're up to me, honestly, I would have done the book in reverse. <laughs> yeah. I actually would have, right? That I, I would have loved, but 
you know, you have to understand human nature. People want what they think they want first, which is what they want. They want to know how to make their business irresistible. So I needed to give them that. I needed to give them the strategies and then close the book by saying, okay, now that I've given you what you think you want, now I want to give you what I know you need Mm -hmm. to unblock yourself so that everything you've learned in the book works. And, you know, it was not an easy thing. It's, it's almost as if you have a business strategy book and a self-help book mixed in. Oh, um, totally. And making that connection was a little hard. But I, th- I actually think in the end, I think, especially for my audience, which, like you, is, is very, you know, we're, we're in business but soulful in a soulful way. I think my audience is going to love it. And I think very well this self-help section of the book may wind up being a favorite part of the book. I can relate so much because I felt like I was sneaking in spiritual concepts into my (laughs) career and business book. And I would, I would use a word, I would drop a word like surrender or flow or, you know, lean into the unknown, but I was not overtly putting it forward. And I knew for me for pivot, okay, I want business and career. I did not want it to be in the self-help category. I wanted to lead with business this time around. But I think about this all the time. You and I might need to create our own category because (laughs) because for my next book, I'm at this fork in the road where I feel very compelled to include my spiritual practices and so tools. But but it doesn't need to be a self-help book. Like I love business. I love the practical nuts and bolts. And Someone even remarked to me that she's got to clearly get on the Creative Warriors podcast, too. But she said, your podcast is so interesting to me because it's both spiritual and business and career related. And I'm not used to that. And I remember thinking, wow, is that am I muddying the waters? Like, is this a really weird, weird thing to do? But I can't seem to leave out either side. Yeah. And, you know, we're right. Let's just get to the point. <laughs> you know, but you you make a great point. Like, why is it either or? You know, why is it business or self-help? Because the secret to success is actually it's a blend of both. Jim Rohn had it right. You know, our, our level of success rarely exceeds our level of personal development. He had it right. And I actually, I need to do some research. I'm not sure when he said that. But why is it two sections? Why is it business or self-help? We do need to create a new category because actually it takes both. Yes. One thing you say on the Creative Warriors podcast page, you say the new renaissance. It's a time when artists, coaches, designers, authors, speakers, and other purpose-driven entrepreneurs will run profitable businesses, be highly respected for their talents, and free to express their work across a variety of mediums. I would love to hear more about this new renaissance and kind of why now and why now for Lingo, the book that you've just put so much heart and soul into. Gosh, I'm so glad you read that. I haven't read that. My, I think I put that on there in 2014, so I haven't actually awesome. read that in a long time. So thanks for the reminder. Such a because great it really cry because you're saying like we're all in this together, and and that um, these slash careers, you know, you said for you, the one thing they all have in common is being a witness. I just love how you take what seems like different jobs and bringing it all into this new renaissance. Yeah, well, there's so much in that that speaks to just the my gut, my absolute gut, and the, what I'm so passionate about. Um, because I do, you know, I, it is our time. You know, I, I, as I said, I, if I, I was actually, let me add, I'm sorry, I'm stammering because it's, it's a collision I of so many, it. it's I a collision it. of so many things. <laughs> I'll tell you what started, part of what started it inspired me to write lingo is I was asked this crazy question on a podcast when I was being interviewed. Somebody asked me, it was a business podcast, and the host asked me, what did I think the future of human evolution was? I have no idea where that was. <laughs> but what really shocked me is how quickly I came up with an answer. Because 
I just have been seeing this and feeling it in the world is that I feel like we're constantly heading towards a not a, a more energetic nonverbal way of communicating. And as a business person, what where the way I've seen that have an effect is that I do feel like I get hired because feel people feel like I get them. I'm not, hey, you know what? I'm, I will never say I'm the best photographer. I don't know what that means. I don't know how anybody can say they're best at anything because the best is so subjective. But I am absolutely the best photographer from my clientele because I get them. And it, for no known reason, I didn't grow up like them. I mean, I serve the affluent clientele. I grew up low, lower middle class, but I get them because we have very shared values. So this, you know, the, the new renaissance to me, it, it's a movement, and it's actually statistically true, too. By 2030, 60% of the American economy will be run by freelancers, independents, entrepreneurs, 60%. So this is a movement, and I actually think it is our time, those of us that are in business creating something, transforming the world. And I believe the, the world wants and requires from us a much deeper understanding of, in order for them to give us their business, their hard-earned money, they are going to demand and insist that we know more about them than demographics, personas, and avatars. That's why I wrote Lingo. That's why I wrote Lingo, and that's what I realized why I was successful in businesses, because I went beyond that. I didn't statistically know my, my target audience. I took it upon myself to understand what I refer to as their secret language. I understood. I took it upon myself to understand how the world looked like from that, from their perspective because I didn't know it. I didn't grow up affluent. I took it upon myself to understand what felt familiar to them, what, what style they resonated with, what pricing psychology worked for them, and what words were going to resonate for them, for them to know that, hey, I get who you are. That's how we carve out our ideal customers, which is the goal of the book. The goal of the book, flat out, is for businesses to only work with their ideal customers. I refer to in the book as busting up the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. <laughs> like, because as small businesses today, we can't afford for 8 out of 10 of our clients to not pay off. We just can't. It takes too much effort and money to even get people's attention. So to me, lingo is a step beyond. It's a step towards that, which is ironic to me because the Lingo implies speaking, and yet it's actually about the unspoken energy of what it takes to communicate with somebody on a deep, intimate level so that somebody wants to do business with you. That, I do think, is the new renaissance. Mm -hmm. And I think that is an open door for people that are in business in a purposeful, soulful way. Oh my gosh, it's so much good stuff in there. And for those of you listening, Jeffrey just like very sneakily gave his five-step formula. <laughs> Not sneakily, but <laughs> let's say succinctly, like it was all jam-packed in there, which is his what Lingo talks about, this five-step secret language strategy. Um, I think sometimes people, at least the entrepreneurs and solopreneurs I work with in my momentum community, sometimes there's a fear of segmenting too specifically among clients and, and maybe diving into this one that seems very specific. What's your take on that? And I know Pam Slim calls this, which is a great phrase. She says, it's okay to have a niche that's an inch wide and a mile deep. Mm, wow. What awesome. Like with, let's say for you, within the affluent market, have you also segmented much further as far as who your ideal photography clients are? You know, actually, what we're referring to, again, is also in the book. It's what I refer to as the new niche. This has been one of the things that I have been most passionately, you know, uh, 
fighting against, and, and I think a lot of creatives in business can, can relate to this, is that I just can't, I can't niche down to serving one target audience doing one thing. I just can't. It breaks my soul. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I fought with that because here I was a well-known photographer for 25 years when I got this, this inkling, this itching to be a business coach. And so I started coaching. And, you know, coaching photographers initially and then coaching other people, but in keeping it a secret, you know, like my, like my photography clients would think I was moonlighting on them or having an affair if they found out. So keeping it very separate and keeping it secret and feeling really torn apart and collapsing under that idea that I was just, I was destined to be a failure because I wasn't following the rule. I wasn't following the rule to only be good at one thing. I was breaking the rule and, and abiding by the, the most insulting phrase out there to me is you're a jack of all trades, a master of none. And that was, I had such a fear that I was becoming that. And yet I just couldn't stop myself. So what I did is I dug deeper to determine, as you when you uh, mentioned that, you know, what's in common in all these things and what's in common in everything that I do is this role of a witness. I felt that way as a photographer. I feel that way as a speaker. I feel that way as a coach where I can facilitate the event by which other people can have transformative moments in their lives. And my, my participation is impact, but I don't own the transformation. And um, so to me, this idea of a, the new niche is, it's, it's an expand for the first time, it's an expansive mindset that when you can determine what your area of authority is, you can suddenly realize there are a lot more people that can be served by that area of expertise. So it's, it's, I love that phrase of inch, uh, inch wide, mile deep. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because it's, that's just it. Like when you can, you can, it's like you're narrowing down to determine what your area of expertise is. Like for example, my area of expertise is what I refer to as uncommon entrepreneurs. Like I don't, I don't think I could sell anything common. Like I, I probably would not be a very good coach for a grocery store, <laughs> but you know, Hey, give me something that seems like it's a hard thing to market in the world. And that excites me. So that's my area of expertise. But once I dug deep and got there, that's my area of expertise, I realized, wow, there's a lot of different types of people that need that help, which is why now when I, where I started coaching photographers, which made sense, now I can coach you know, podcasters and other coaches and designers and event planners and speakers and authors. I can coach because there's a commonality that they all share. Don't you think too, it's as you're talking, it occurs to me that so much of, let's call it the customer matching process, because it's not even acquisitions, like such an icky term, you know, like, let me acquire you. Uh, let's say matching. It's now happening on this nonverbal, we could even say spiritual level where just by having a podcast, like there are a thousand cues in one episode of you talking with a guest that your listeners are picking up on. And you might not even know what they are, but they're sort of attracting people on a level that goes deeper than words because it's just, I don't know, it's like the chemistry of matching seems to be shifting because there is so much choice and people are probably going to be going for a more like visceral feeling. Just, oh, I resonate. Yes. And, and we might not even know why. Absolutely. That's a hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's why, that's why I wrote the book. You know, it's, um, it is this. And again, I think this is just the way I've been in business so long. I can say, Jenny, that whatever is true, the opposite is true. <laughs> right. So yes, it is true that in a lot of ways, it seems like the world is getting more impersonal and automated and robotic. 
And while that is true, the opposite becomes true, which is people want deeper personal interrelationships. So while one becomes true, and if you're not in the business of robotics and automation, then the opposite is true, which is then to stand out, you have to be better and, you know, better at connecting deeply on a human basis Mm. than everyone else. Yes. And which ultimately means better at being yourself, who you really are. Yes. Yeah. And isn't that a journey that we all go through all the time? Yeah. <laughs> Lifelong. <laughs> One thing you say at the, at the end in, this, in the mindset chapter, you say, do you believe that there are forces working on your behalf? And that this is something we should ask ourselves. I 100% believe this. But every now and then, you know, you'll bump into like an atheist type person that's just like, oh, it's so Pollyanna to believe that the universe is some benevolent force working on your behalf. What's your take? And have you ever had to respond to those, we'll call them critics, but just people Mm -hmm. who think like, no, it's just a cold, hard world and shit happens. I I kind of am one of those critics. I mean, that's why I asked, that's why I posed the question. Like this is fundamentally turned out to be one of the biggest questions I've ever had to ask myself. And one that I still struggle with because it, it really speaks deep to the heart of my entrepreneurship. I've, I literally, when I said I was, I've been an entrepreneur since the age of 14, I sold eggs door to door because I lived in a country and, and, and I was charging $1.25 a dozen, which, hey, in, in 19, let me see, that's 14, so 1978, that was a good price for a dozen eggs, right? So, you know, I just have always had this feeling that if I want something done, I have to do it myself. And it's so ingrained in, I think, a lot of us as entrepreneurs that when I pose that question for people to ask us, do you believe there are first forces working on your behalf? A lot of people automatically say, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe that. And then I'll say, do you, but do you live it? And then they start looking at their other attitudes, such as if I want something done, I have to do it myself. You know, nothing's going to happen and nothing's going to happen unless I do all the work. That fundamentally is telling you then you don't truly believe there are force forces working on your behalf. You know, and it, it, it speaks also to what we were saying before about readiness. You know, I've had to, to surrender to believing there are forces working on my, ha- my, my behalf because as much as I was that critic, like that can't be true. It's all up to me. I've had to surrender to the fact that it's true because I've seen so much evidence of it. I've seen evidence of it in, in not getting what I thought I was ready for. I've seen evidence of it in synchronicity, like these wild, like there's no way that's just a coincidence. <laughs> you know, um, I've seen too much evidence that it just isn't all up to us. And when I was doing research for Lingo, uh, you know, I I started looking at kind of the, the bigger picture and realizing that if we just keep if we just keep pushing the envelope on ourselves, there's this nature of expectations. Let me put it to you this way. I started really looking at the the absolute core definition of expectation and realizing that expectation inherently has a predetermined outcome. Mm. right? It, it just by definition. So if we want to do accomplish things that are bigger than ourselves, bigger than what we expect we're capable of, we have to believe in something bigger than ourselves because it's beyond our predetermined, a goal that we think we're capable of. I love that. Have you ever heard the saying, expectations are resentments in waiting? Oh, no. Ugh, Ooh, so... I have to, I'm going to have to sit on that one. Yes, sit with it. It <laughs> wow. is, that was a game changer, especially as it relates to other people. 
It's just like if you're going to start placing expectations on things, people, outcomes, get ready because it's kind of like the the only way that can go is pretty much to become a resentment or a disappointment. It just it doesn't serve us. And and I think expectations are different than soul goals. Like like you said, I think goals have evolved because just the cold hard goals word just annoys me. <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. yeah. as Tosha Silver calls it a grocery list for God. Like, God, this year I want a house and a car and a this and a that, you know. Uh, but soul goals, I do believe, okay, we feel called to something. And we feel called to a bigger, something bigger than than us, like you said, or just some kind of fun, delightful way to expand in our business or in our life. But then it's got to be held loosely and to not have expectations on how or when it unfolds and to be open to surprise. I love that you just referred to it as held loosely. And isn't there, there's a quote that says something about you can't, um, a clenched fist can't receive. Oh yeah. <laughs> something like circle that. Circle back to receiving. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. I was, I, isn't it fascinating too, this growth journey of blind spots. I, I've become very interested in this. I realized I thought I was becoming so much more flowy about money and I believe money is energy and it's energy. That's it. And it's a very a fun game. If, if you want to learn about your beliefs, look at how you think about money and how you treat it and how you give and receive it. And I realized that although I thought I was living with a very like money as energy flowy mindset more and more because entrepreneurship teaches that more than almost anything else. But there were some areas where I was still clenching it, like I was still squeezing it from a place of scarcity. And I just have that visual that you just gave of the clenched hands. So it's like, in what areas of your life or business are you just like clenching it? Like, no, you're not going anywhere. And we constrict the flow when we do that. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think the term loosely, uh, the way we hold our goals loosely is really important because again, you and I are strategists. We 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 are hard workers, as I'm sure your listeners are. We go for what we want, but it's a way of there's a way of doing it that it's loosely held. Uh, a story I tell in the book that I'll share real quickly was uh, my yoga teacher. And you're a practitioner of yoga as well. I study Iyengar yoga and worked with probably one of most well-known teachers, Mary Dunn. Uh, And Mary was struck with a very rare and aggressive form of cancer. And unfortunately, from diagnosis, uh, she she passed within three months. And during that time, remarkably, she would occasionally be able to show up to teach class. And one time after class, I had a quiet moment with her. Everybody else had left, and we were packing up the equipment. And I'd said to her, so, Mary, how are you really doing? You know, it's one thing for her to show up and a scarf on her head and, you know, and be the teacher. But how are you really doing? And she said, I'm learning to walk towards life without being attached to the outcome. And that I have held so powerfully when it comes to goals. Like, I do work hard towards what I want, but try to not have this sense of attachment to the outcome, surrendering to the idea that there are forces working on our behalf. And if that whatever I seek doesn't show up, it's probably because I'm not ready, that I haven't raised my level of personal development yet to receive that success. So beautifully said. 33 years in business is epic. And you've shared (laughs) so many nuggets of wisdom. Especially at 28 years old. Isn't it remarkable? Hell yes. Yes. (laughs) Did we miss any? What is like a number one business nugget that you've learned in these 33 years of self-employment that you can share? You know, it's it's so honestly, it's everything we talked about. It, it the number one thing is realizing that it's it is you know the tagline for Creative Warriors podcast is it's business with a soul. Oh, 
Oh, and that, love that that's what it is. I mean, that is the number one thing. It's like it, it is not just hard work and strategy, nor is it, you know, the secret and just manifesting. And, you know, I actually had an opportunity to interview Bob Proctor, and I, he, he has a lot of problems with the movie The Secret, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in, in hindsight, because it's not just manifesting and, and, you know, just wishing for what you want. And it's also not just all hard work. It really is both. It is that magical formula of working really hard, being a big dreamer, a big goal setter, and holding it loosely and and growing from from inside first. You've talked about magic, big goals, big dreams, serendipity, all these wonderful, <laughs> wonderful magneticism. What are you most excited about in 2018? You know, I am fearful and excited about to see where Lingo is going to go. And not just as a book, but as a platform. This is the most open-hearted thing I have ever done, which of course also makes it the scariest. The, you know, here this is the story, Lingo, and it starts with the story at 23 years old and how I changed my life because I was I had a photography business that was failing for three years. And I had an aha moment and realized what I needed to do. And the, the book starts off with the story of, of me going to Bergdorf Goodman on Fifth Avenue in New York City and, and, and one afternoon literally changing my life. That was at 23 years old. 30 years later, to be honest with Jenny, I, had, I wrote a whole other book in 2016. I spent nearly a year writing a book. It was, in fact, a self-help book, which... I finally surrendered to realizing it wasn't the right first book for me to put out. It wasn't going to help me with a platform. It was in a brief conversation with someone who is now the editor of Lingo, who's a stellar editor. I had some time with her. It was in a brief conversation with her. I told her the story of my visit to Bergdorf Goodman, and she sat back and said, that's the book you need to write. Every lesson you learn from that, that's the book you need to write. This is my truth. This book is, like I said, it is the most soulful. It's the clearest message I have ever had after all these years in business. You know how challenging that is, right? It's like we dance around our core message for so, so long. This is it for me. And I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, what I'm most excited about is to see where the idea of Lingo goes, how far it will reach that people will understand that to, to succeed in business takes more than buyer personas and avatars. It takes a soulful connection. I'm really excited to see how far this goes and what impact I can have on the future of entrepreneurship. And there's nothing like a book. I call it serendipity popcorn. It's like, you have no clue what's going to pop. It's just all of a sudden, yeah. once your ideas and your truth is out there to the world, it's so it's so exciting, especially for someone with your mindset that's just like, pop, pop, pop. You have no clue what's going to come in. <laughs> I love that exciting. popcorn metaphor. Yeah, and I, I, like and I eat a lot of popcorn. <laughs> yeah, or it's like a serendipity lottery ticket. It's like you just have no clue what comes when you scratch off the thing from launching. Uh, Jeffrey, as we wrap up, which, oh, man, like we clearly have more of these conversations in our future. <laughs> Excellent. Especially if we're going to create a whole new book category. But uh, what is one piece of homework that you would encourage all listeners to do when they stop listening to this episode? Determine who your ideal customer is. It is fundamentally, I mean, it's the goal of Lingo, and it's fundamentally one of the first questions I get. People say, well, I don't know who my ideal customer is. And you know what? Your ideal customer, it actually has a tremendous amount to do with who you are. You know, one of the classic uh, questions in marketing, I know I've been asked a lot of times, is whom are you for? And usually when that's been asked, the person asking it is looking for me to define my audience. And what I realize is that we need to reverse that. Actually, what that question, the way that question should be answered is, whom are you for? 
you. Mm-hmm. Like, what are your values? What what way can you serve best? It's a it's a you have to stop and do a self study first in order to determine who would love that. Right? What are your innate characters? What are your skill sets? What are your talents? How can you serve? And who would love that? That's how you define who your ideal customer is. I love it. I love it. It's brilliant. And it's so true that it just kind of starts with who we are. Not kind of. Yeah. It does. Jeffrey, yeah. where can people keep in touch? Where can they listen to your show? And everybody, go get a copy of Jeff's new book, Lingo. <laughs> Discover your ideal customer's secret language and make your business irresistible. Oh, tell us where you. they can keep in touch. So we've put together a nice little gift for your listeners called the Lingo Media Kit. Really excited about this. They can get it at jeffreyshaw.com forward slash pivot. And in that Lingo Media Kit, there is a secret language infographic, which nicely visually lays out the five-step process of uh, understanding and building the secret language of your ideal customers. It includes the classic free chapter, but it also includes a non-typical audio version of the free chapter. You know, you know, I being podcasters, I really want to kick this up. So this free audio version has sound effects, and I tell more intimate parts of stories that I don't say in the book. Uh, so the audio version is actually really fun. So they, again, they can get the Lingo Media Kit at jeffreyshaw.com forward slash pivot. Amazing. Jeffrey, thank you so much, and I'm wishing you well with the launch. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your friendship and your connection and, uh, and the opportunity to, to speak to your listeners. Likewise, and so much more to follow. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Pivot Podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips and templates by signing up for Pivot List, a curated twice monthly newsletter where I share the inside scoop on what I'm reading, watching, listening to, and the latest tools I'm geeking out on. Sign up at pivotmethod.com slash pivotlist. Get show notes from this episode at pivotmethod.com slash podcast. And connect with me on Twitter at Jenny underscore Blake. Remember, build first, then your courage will follow. Hasn't it always 